Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through to chapter 9, verse 1. The way of the cross. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, let me pray and we'll have a closer look at this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this passage. Uh, it's quite a confronting passage, Lord. It is a passage which yeah, asks us to consider the cost of discipleship. And Father God, we pray now as we open it, we will be faithful to it. We will not shy away from your truth and that your Holy Spirit will convict us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to say, um, <clears throat> one of the great things about going uh, through a midlife crisis, which I think I am currently in the throes of, is that you get to get your motorbike licence. <laughs> now, on Monday morning, I sat on a motorbike for the first time ever. I know you all look very concerned, but that's okay, just pray. And by Friday, I am legally allowed to ride on the roads after a couple of hours on a bike and doing a test. Uh, and during the week, I also bought myself a motorbike. Um, that's a picture of it right there. And, uh, and I'm going to go fast because it's red. And... I'm sure everyone's shocked, but I'm not. I'm a safe, I'm a safe rider who doesn't know what he's doing. Um, <coughs> the thing is, when you buy a motorbike or anything these days, really, you enter into a contract and the salesperson, um, there's a lot of people who look very upset at me right now. <laughs> oh my goodness, I wasn't ready for that. Dagger eyes everywhere. I promise that God is in control. Um, when I bought my motorbike, they gave me this contract to sign. Um, now, Constance, my salesperson, told me to take uh, some time uh, to look through the contract. Uh, I got to point two of the terms and conditions and simply asked her, is this a standard contract that the government uh, issues and that you have to give to me? And she goes, yeah, it hasn't been changed in any way. And I said, so if I want to negotiate this contract, these terms and conditions, I don't really like one of them. She goes, well, if you don't sign it, you don't get the bike. So, of course, I don't bother reading the rest of it. I sign away and off I go so that I can get my bike. Now, uh, if you ask me what point seven of the contract says, I wouldn't have a clue. I'd say, I'd mumble something about, well, it's just the standard thing that the government issues, so that's what I've signed up for and that's what it is. So my question and what this passage is really confronting us with this morning is when you decided to follow Jesus, what terms and conditions did you sign up for? See, what is the contract 
that we've actually signed when we've committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus was to come and present you with a contract with terms and conditions and a page that outlines the cost, what would it have on it? Have you even considered the page of the contract that outlines the cost of discipleship? Or perhaps when you decided to follow Jesus, you did what I did and you kind of went, well, it's kind of the standard contract. Uh, I love the blessing of the bike or the blessing of whatever Jesus is uh, providing for me right now. And uh, look, if the terms and conditions come up at some point, I'll deal with that when they come up. So this morning, we come to the end of chapter 8 in Mark and we encounter that what would be, I think, the essence of a contract of discipleship. If Jesus was to present us with a contract to sign, chances are it would be a copy of this passage. And he would say, make sure that you read it carefully, just as Constance at the motorbike shop said to me. As we begin this missions month, this passage is at the heart of what it will cost to engage with the mission of God. Not just over the coming month, but over your whole life. To proclaim the good news of Jesus and to build God's kingdom comes with a cost and it does come with a condition. So if you remember back to last week, Jesus asked his disciples two questions. Who do the people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say a prophet, come back from the dead. And then he says to his disciples, the close 12, who do you say I am? And Peter was able for the first time, and Matthew's gospel tells it, through God enabling him to declare this, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, Jesus is the promised one of the prophets to come and to save God's people from the oppression of their enemies, from sin and death. See, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in that passage, Jesus then outlined the cost to him of this salvation in verse 31 onwards. And it says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now in our passage this morning, Jesus expands this teaching. He's no longer just talking to the 12, but he's talking to the whole crowd. It's either on the way to Caesarea Philippi still, or perhaps he's already at Caesarea Philippi. But he begins with the page of the discipleship contract that outlines the cost. I want you to have a look at verses 34 to 37. Then Jesus called the crowd uh, to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus here is breaking the cost to us down in three parts. You must deny yourself, you must take up your cross and you must follow him. 
That's the cost breakdown. So you'd be hard-pressed to find any advice in the world today that encourages you to deny yourself unless you are the one who's going to benefit from it. So you may be advised to deny yourself certain food and drink, but it would be for a self-purpose. It would be so that you could lose weight or be healthier or perhaps even attract someone. This is how our world thinks. But Jesus doesn't say deny yourself because of an outcome that will benefit you. He says deny yourself in order for you to give your life up and produce an outcome for the kingdom of God. No longer live to build your kingdom, but live to build God's kingdom. And what does this look like? Well, it looks like the life that Jesus led. He says, take up your cross. The cross is a symbol of sacrifice. See, by living for the kingdom of God, you are sacrificing the desires and the pleasures of this world and living for an eternal glory so that God receives the greatest glory and not yourselves, a glory that he has secured in Christ. See, your time, your money, your purpose, your vocation, which literally translated means calling, your priorities... You should now see them different. You will now see them as God's time, God's money, God's vocation, God's priorities. They should all reflect a longer-term eternal hope. See, and he says in Matthew 6 to his disciples, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the lens from which you see your life will be the same lens as Jesus saw his life. And it will be the path that Jesus has laid out for you. It will be... Uh, it will in solidarity sincerely pray the prayer he prayed in Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. See, we're about to embark, or we have embarked on a missions month. There is going to be great opportunity for you to deny yourself and take up your cross, to sacrifice your time, to sacrifice God's money he has granted to you, to reorientate your priorities to God's priorities, to get on board with God's purposes. Something as simple as inviting a friend to an outreach service may be a great sacrifice for you because maybe you feel that you're putting your relationship on the line. Starting to give towards the ministry of the church or increase your giving in a time that's counterintuitive as the economies of the world start to look like they're going backwards, giving to mission opportunities, sacrificing parts of your uh, spending during the week, your coffees, your lunches, whatever it is, and thinking about ways that perhaps you can use that for the kingdom. See, thirdly here, Jesus says, not just deny ourselves, take up our cross, 
but we follow him. He is our shepherd. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So now we lay down our life for our shepherd. We listen to his voice. And it's great to hear Peter distributing the word of God because how do you hear God's voice? Well, it's through the word of God. It's through, it's through sacrificing some of your time to intentionally, intentionally listen for him in his word by opening the Bible, by listening. I encourage you to find an app to listen to the Bible. It's a great way to, to, to engage with God and to pray as you do that. Well, you're like binging Netflix these days. Well, maybe we need to just step away from the binge a little bit and start binging the Bible. So you're sacrificing that 30-minute show for a 30-minute time with God. Deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him will look different for each of us. We all have a different calling but it will all look like sacrifice. It will all look different to how the world tells us to live. One person who gave a great deal, and I'm sure many of you have heard of him, is Jim Elliot. He was inspired as an early, uh, at an earlier age by the examples of other missionaries, David Brainerd, um, William Carey and Amy Carmichael. And he committed his life to evangelism and international mission work. He attended Wheaton College, studied linguistics. He met his wife Elizabeth there and as partners in ministry, they travelled to the Ecuadorian jungle and on January the 8th, 1956, while attempting to make contact with the people of the uh, tribes there, Jim and four other missionaries were speared to death, slain by those that they came to minister to. Eliot's most famous words were written in a journal on October the 28th, 1949. I think they represent the great paradigm of the Christian faith. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Aren't they wonderful words? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, the riches of this world, the desires that we have of this world to gain what he cannot lose, the riches of the kingdom of God, the inheritance, as 1 Peter says, that is stored up in heaven for you that will never perish, spoil or fade. Well, having outlined the cost of discipleship, in many respects, verse 8 is the terms and conditions page. Have a look at verse 38 there. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So you cannot bear the name of Jesus and take up your cross and follow him and be ashamed of who you are because of him or be ashamed of him or how he achieved salvation or how he uh, confronts the world with the re realities and the truth of the gospel. So can you follow a man who was beaten, spat upon and crucified? Can you identify with the one who was mocked? Are you willing to 
uh, identify with humility? Are you willing to stand up for his glory, his honour, his truths, even when the world calls them foolish? Now, where's a great debate to see who the goat is of tennis, the greatest of all time? For me, it is without doubt Roger Federer. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. He may not have uh, won more Grand Slam singles than anyone else, but I think he's a great ambassador. I think he's got a great character and I really appreciate the way that he uh, does things. Now, Roger Federer, during his playing career, he recently retired. He is, you can just see it there, his racket sponsor was Wilson. Now, imagine after each game, the, the commentator gets him in front of the crowd and says, oh, so we see that your uh, racket sponsor is Wilson. What do you think of your racket? And he goes, well, I'm a bit ashamed of actually holding and using the Wilson racket. I love all the money they give me to hold it, but to be honest, I'm not really keen on the racket at all. I'm kind of ashamed to be using this racket. I'm just in it for the money, really. I'm just in it for the blessing. I'm just in it for all the things, but I'm really ashamed. See, that wouldn't work. He can't both proclaim the name of Wilson and feel ashamed of it at the same time. And in the same way, if you are ashamed of using the name of Jesus in your community, to your friends, to your family, well, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You can't say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet hesitate at using his name. He says, well, when the day comes, I will be ashamed of you. This week, Andrew Thorburn was appointed the new chair uh, of Essendon. Um, now, I don't know if you've seen this news. Uh, he was also the CEO of National Stray Bank at some point. But he's also a chair of his local church. And his local church, which has several satellite churches, it's quite a large church down in Melbourne, um, they have a very clear statement of faith and the beliefs that are, uh, he, he uh, aligns with. Now, I can't remember the exact day he was appointed. I think it was maybe Monday. And by Tuesday, he had resigned because there was uproar about their stance on certain, uh, uh, certain doctrines that are very like, homosexuality and, and, and marriage and things like that. So he was actually forced to stand down from his position as the chair of Essendon Football Club. Now, he decided to resign because effectively they said to him, well, you can't be chair of both. You either choose the chair of the church or you choose the chair of Essendon. That's how it unfolded. Well, he chose Jesus. And he said, you can be... Well, I shouldn't say what he said. But his statement was very much that if you're going to view me in these terms, well, I'm not giving up my, my, my position to serve the Lord Jesus um, for your football club. And I think it's a great illustration of what the cost may continue to be. This idea of inclusiveness is going to be more of a challenge for us because Essendon were being exclusive of any Christian belief while trying to force Christians to be inclusive of everything else. 
You see, sometimes we're going to have to make a choice. Sometimes we're going to have to stand firm. Sometimes we're going to have to put our hand up and say, no, I bear the name of Jesus. And if that doesn't align with what you are offering, then I'm going to have to step down from the world. It's a clear choice. And I think over the coming years, it's going to be harder and harder as we continue on this path in our world. Says the world uses the inclusive ideology to exclude Christians. Where will you stand if you are called to be unashamed of Jesus? Well, finally, having outlined the costs and terms of our discipleship, Jesus mentions the purpose or the mission of our discipleship. Have a look at chapter 9, verse 1 there. He says, uh, and he says to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. So we deny ourselves, we take up our cross and we follow Jesus for one, pers- for one purpose and that is to build the kingdom of God. Now I think Jesus ties all this together by the kingdom of God coming with power. Well it wasn't what Peter was expecting when he takes Jesus away and rebukes him for saying that he was going to be killed and suffer. But that is the power to lay down one's life on the cross for those who are against him, for the very people who are denying him. Well, that is what power is and that is what Jesus is saying here. You will see the power of God displayed by the great sacrifice of God himself on that cross. And now he says, are you willing to take up that cross? See, did you read the page of cost and the terms of conditions before you gave your life to Christ? Would you be willing to sign a contract with this passage on it? It's not a contract that says if the party so wishes they can deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. But it's a contract that says and Jesus' words say whoever wants to be my disciple must. Must. There is no grey area in this contract. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus being unashamed and putting the kingdom of God before all things. I encourage you to reflect on this. I think it's a very confronting passage, but I do think that if we are able to sign our life over to Jesus, then the freedom, the power and the glory and the great, the great hope that we profess will all be evident for all to see. Because there is no more powerful thing than being a part of the kingdom of God, to bearing the name of Christ, to proclaiming the gospel, the good news, to sacrificing for the kingdom. And I encourage each and every one of us to go home, read through this passage, sit with God, Take up a pen and sign.
because when his people are committed, we will see tremendous things happening for his glory. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are confronted by the reality that you have said you must deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. Lord Jesus, we, we know that we don't do that. We know that we have glossed over the terms and conditions. We know that we have perhaps sidelined many of the sacrifices that you have called us to. But Father God, I do pray that over this coming month, we will see the power of your Holy Spirit at work as we do many things for the glory that is rightly yours. Father God, I do pray that we will all be willing to make some sacrifices and to ensure the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed in our local area, over in Papua New Guinea, that the seeds that were sown over in Vietnam will bear fruit, that the boxes that go out with, uh, with, with the gospel um, study as part of them will bear great fruit. To the ends of the earth you have called us, Lord, and I pray that as we go out to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we will always stay anchored on the truth that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. So, Father God, bless us now. Watch over these weeks ahead and, uh, and build your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.